Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser, and we're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, men's bodies, and male experiences of pleasure. This is episode number four, and today I had the honor of talking to a very good friend of mine. His name is Tully O'Connor, and he works as a transformational coach and facilitator. Tully works primarily with men, and he has a passion for helping people expand their personal leadership and develop connected, fulfilling relationships. Tull is known for his down-to-earth approach, speaking about complex, intimate issues with ease, clarity, and humor. He has a unique ability to hold a deeply present, safe space, allowing him to facilitate powerful and meaningful transformation in both a one-on-one and in a group setting. Tully said to me that the thing he's most proud of is his relationship with his wife, Caitlin, and being a father to their newborn son. You can find all of Tully's work uh, on Instagram at Tully O'Connor or on his website, which is tullyoconnor.co. And he's also got an incredible podcast called The Conscious Locker Room, which I've been a guest on, and he's got some amazing conversations happening over there. So I highly recommend checking that out. And as I mentioned, Tully's a really good friend of mine, so we had a great chat about leadership in this episode, uh, talking about leadership not only in a relational context, but also in a sexual context as well, leadership in and out of the bedroom. So enjoy. A healthy, happy sex life can be one of the most wonderful and exciting parts of a good marriage. Every man's penis can get hard at certain times. Do you ever have that happen to you? Every boy should realize that the size of his genital organs has nothing to do with fertility or his capacity as a male. I would love for you to do a little bit of a, uh, if it's okay with you, share a little bit of your, your story and, and how you came to be, to be doing the work that you're doing and to, um, I don't know, maybe speak into a little bit of your own, your own personal history with regards to you know, men, sex and pleasure. Yeah, for sure. And um, I guess under that context, like that for me has always fallen under the umbrella of relationship so my real passion and work has been in the area of relationship of which obviously being a man having sex and experiencing pleasure is a big part of that and so um hmm, in a nutshell so basically my professional career started out i was working as a physio so working in the healthcare industry and saw really quickly that the approach to healthcare was pretty linear um focusing purely on the physical and missing a lot of the biopsychosocial aspects of well-being. And that was coming into the fray, especially in physio and dealing with chronic pain. That was part of the conversation. Um, but that was the conversation I wanted to be having primarily. I was, I was more concerned about people's mental and emotional well-being because I could just see in what I was, uh, in the patients I was treating, um, in my own experience. And I also just had this instinct that that was more important and, and less well understood. And this is going back sort of for 10 years now. Whoa, I'm getting, getting on <laughs> 10 years. Like, yeah, since I graduated 10 or 11 years. So back then the, the conversation around holistic health was a lot newer. You know what I mean? You say that in this day and age and it's like, Oh yeah, well, obviously, but back then it was not as obvious and not as, um, spoken about. So my, I guess, interest was drawn to learning more about human behavior, behavioral psychology, relationship. Um, And that was equally driven by me wanting to learn more about relationship and to develop a relationship that was thriving um, so that when I brought a family into the world and just had that family nucleus, that it was thriving because my parents split up when I was 17. And that and then before that they were probably you know a good maybe five or six years of you know not being super close and you know those things where you look back retrospectively and you're like well the writing was on the wall for that one but at the time you know you don't sort of sort of realize it so that was a a pivotal point for me i didn't realize it at the time but that was driving a lot of my behavior driving a lot of um the knowledge that i was pursuing and so I kind of self-studied and self-learned learned from a lot of different people in a lot of different areas and just gradually started to have people ask me for support throughout conversations. I would have conversations with people and then they would ask for support. And so I kind of, um, yeah, I did the 
NLP life coaching and all of those like quote unquote certificates and all of that stuff. But it was more the work I was doing on myself that then started to translate into helping other people um, with their relationships, um, with their well-being from a mental, emotional point of view. And that's evolved into the work I do today, which is working primarily with men. I do work with women a bit as well um, and couples. And, and that's in the form of one-on-one coaching, retreats, um, yeah, on the online coaching programs, basically helping people sort their own shit out so that they can show up to their relationships um, yeah, fully so that we can spend more time living in love rather than living in, in conflict. Thanks for, for sharing some of your story. I, um, I resonate and I think the reason why we're quite good friends is because a lot of the, that story resonates with me and, and my own experience as well. So um, something I wanted to, and I th- don't think I've asked you this before, but your, um, your parents' relationship and maybe the, the deterioration of that or the, the kind of breakdown of it, you know, you were saying the writing was on the wall for it for quite mm. a while. I'm wondering if, if there was like a, a driving force behind the, like what you were seeing and like, oh, I don't want that to be my reality. I don't want my relationship to end up like that. Was that something that was going on for you? Yeah, probably not consciously at the time. Um, but sort of when I got into my early 20s, it was, um, it's kind of like voids and values, what you kind of lack growing up, you kind of then value. And so I saw the biggest thing was communication um, and that or the lack thereof. Um, there was kind of a lack of intimacy and it's not like it wasn't there. It wasn't a dry stale. And especially in the earlier years, it wasn't like that. It was like that my whole life, but just towards the end. Um, and that was, um, that was the spark. And then I would look around at friends, parents, and it was either divorced or like you could count on one hand, the amount of happy couples that I could see amongst my friends, parents and parents that I knew. And I was like, the fuck is up with that? Like, why is this such a rarity? Like, what's going on? And then, yeah, so that drove my curiosity big time. Yeah. So that personal thing. And then, you know, learning that the, the number one thing that impacts our length and quality of life is the quality of our relationships. So as a health professional, I was like, it's almost irresponsible to be um, talking about well-being without a thorough understanding and talking about relationships Mm. because like, yeah, I don't know if you've seen that study that the the longest longitudinal study that they've done and they took a group of, um, I think it was done in Boston, really low socioeconomic and then high socioeconomic um, people followed through them throughout their whole life. And so they could, they could match for diet for exercise for all of these different lifestyle factors, backgrounds and all of it. And then the number one thing they came up with was the, quality of um relationships was that and uh, maybe you can expand on this with your own opinion is that quality of like intimate romantic relationships or quality of relationships with friends and family both, and- both. yeah i think they they focused a lot on that primary relationship so intimate relationship but then they were also looking at um yeah close close friendships around us which makes perfect sense do you know what i mean like when you look at it you're like oh that's seems, seems quite, seems quite obvious. A 75 year study to tell us. Yeah. That. Yeah. 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 Um, so that, that definitely, um, drove it. Do you know what I mean? And for me, it was like, I don't think we're this disconnected, isolated society. Like we're supposed to grow up in a community, I believe, do you know what I mean? And develop because not, no one person can provide everything for a child. So it's, it's like I, I gained a lot from my dad. I gained a lot from my mum. But was it a complete picture of, of what it meant to be a thriving human? No, probably not. So I had to go and source that. Whereas back in the day, maybe we got that from uncles or other people in the village, so to speak. Um, and I feel like in this day and age, you need to actively go and find that because it's not provided in our natural setup and society and community. Yes, that's what I did. And that's what I try to provide for um, people in the work that I do. I 100% agree with you that that is unrealistic and almost unfair to expect that uh, a child can get everything they need from two people. I've also said this with regards to like our 
you know, monogamous relationships as well, right? Is like, it's mm-hmm. unfair to expect that you'll get all your needs met from one person. Like that's a pretty heavy load to put onto someone. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, they're doing the same thing to you. Like no wonder like heaps of these relationships, you know, the old paradigm of relationships are like really kind of struggling and breaking down if we're expecting this one person it's in our language mm-hmm. to be our better half or to complete mm-hmm. us or to be mm-hmm. our soulmate, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe there's value in exploring that. But I think, um, I think, you know, relinquishing some of that expectation and uh, allowing your partner to be a human being rather than this thing, that's this person or being who's supposed to fill everything that you need. Hollywood. Yeah, Thanks Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm wondering if you're able to speak into that, man, maybe some, some things that you've helped couples overcome with regards to that mentality, that mind frame. Yeah. It's like, you know, that saying, no man is an island. Mm. It's like no relationship is an island either. No couple is an island. Like we're not designed to thrive in isolation like that. We're just not. It's like, I feel like couples and community, it's like a symbiotic relationship, right? Communities thrives when couples thrive and couples thrive when the community thrives. Mm. And like the first thing I do when I'm coaching a man, I ask them like, how many good men do you have in your life that you can go to with stuff that you trust their advice? Um, Like, because men need their circle of, and this is my experience, just disclaimer is heterosexual men. And and I'm I'm primarily work with heterosexual couples. Um, That's just been my experience. That's what I'll speak from. Um, but most of what I, I say and, and most of what I teach applies across the board, but I just think it's important to say that. So if that comes mm-hmm. through in my language, then, then that's why. Um, but we need our own circle of people around us. And I feel like me as a man have benefited. My relationship wouldn't be what it is without the men in my life. And likewise with Kat and the women in her life. Mm. And, I, and I see it, it's so easy to disconnect and isolate individually, but as a couple, and I see it a lot. And it's a either there's going to be two things one of two things will happen either they'll turn into really good friends the polarity will go and it'll just like slowly die or there'll be lots of fights if it's just those two like depending on your natural makeup your natural connection and how you sort of come together your you know how you respond do you fight flight flee or or submit kind of thing what's your natural and if it's two people that fight then there's probably going to be lots of fireworks do you know what i mean if there's two people so but either way it's not going to be healthy long term Mm, so mm. that's that's my like and it's primary like that's why i start with that because you can do all the work you want within the relationship but if you're not looking at the environment the relationship is existing in then it's going to be hard work and i think um i think it's also like important to recognize I mean, not only is it important for us as men to have male friends, but also us as men to have female friends and, and vice versa for women to have male friends as well, where, um, where stuff around jealousy and things can, can kind of be brought to the surface a little bit so that it can be worked through. I know yes. that's something that's definitely been the case in my relationship with um, my partner with regards to kind of the fields of work that we're in. Um, my partner being a musician, which is, um, kind of historically been quite a male oriented or dominated profession and myself mm. being in the site like soft sciences psychology sexology even yoga to an extent has been quite yeah. female oriented so i think that's also really an important dynamic to explore as well yeah 100 percent. and then it's um you're right it does bring stuff up and it's healthy to have that stuff brought up so you don't have to carry it do you know what i mean and that's what relationships like conscious relationships are so it's just uh, an environment for personal growth and evolution if, if you want to look at it that way as well if you allow it if you like just exist in the bubble then you're not going to expose yourself to opportunities um like that and is the key do you think communication to those to like to that personal growth and for a relationship facilitating that growth is is communication the key like that old cliche yeah yeah big time and and responsibility mm. um so it's like i work on me for cat and and the agreement is that cat works on cat for me rather than i'm going to be all of this for you it's like no, i'm going to be all of this for me for you mm. and you be all of that for you for me so that combination of communication 
big time and being able to, cause that's just a skill. It's a skill most of us don't really learn. Um, but it's just a skill that can be learned and responsibility, being able to look at something and be like, cool, what's my shit? What's my part in here? How have I contributed to this? And understanding that both people need to take that hundred percent responsibility for it to work. Cause so many times it's, you know, it's like, you're happy to take 49% responsibility. You're like, yeah, I know I did this. I did this, but you were slightly more responsible <laughs> for that argument or, or whatever it may be. And I've found when you can just be like, yep. Cause in some way, shape or form, you've either perpetuated or allowed a pattern or a situation to, to be there. So it's like, cool. We're both responsible for this. And, and, and the other thing is acknowledging that it's this sort of, three entities at play there's me this cat and there's the entity of the relationship so it's like how can we both take responsibility to work on the relationship and it that creates this team dynamic which i think is really important because when you feel like a team you're working together versus subconsciously creating that right wrong dynamic mm. like well if we're in conflict one person has to be right one person has to be wrong and our ego, our sense of self is desperately attached to not being wrong because if we're wrong, that means we're a bad boy or a bad girl. And all of these sub like subconscious resistances pop up really strong. And that's why you can have those petty arguments over nothing important just because you're atta more attached to being right than you are to being happy or connected mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. And I think the, thing that you mentioned at the start of that share was like each person in that relationship doing the work on themselves right and so something that something that has been challenging in in my work has been working with men where they're the person doing the work particularly with regards to sexuality and their mm. partner hasn't done any any work on sexuality or isn't really open to exploring anything sexually with the, the, the man that's working with me and, and wanting to pursue and explore and expand. Um, mm. So I'm wondering if, if that's something you've come across with regards to your work in yeah. relationship as well as only one person in the couple doing the work. Yeah. Big time. And it's a, um, there's not a simple answer to it. And if I had a dollar for every quote, Oh, this doesn't happen as much, but maybe sort of two years ago when we sort of started doing our work with living in love and working with couples, if I had a dollar for every time I got asked the question, how do I get my man to quote unquote do the work? I'd be a wealthy, wealthy man. Um, but to be honest, I get more guys being the proactive one and reaching out about stuff now, which is, it's been an interesting thing to notice over the last um, three or four years. Mm -hmm. um, but a couple of things to acknowledge with that is everybody grows in their own way at their own pace and it's cyclical. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to have a level of communication where if one person's really wanting to explore something, there's still space for that to happen without the other person being as keen or as, as on board, but still on board, if that makes sense. And this is where that communication piece comes in because it's like being able to express what their desire is to grow or explore this certain aspect of themselves, say their sexuality, but bring that to the table so that, you're creating the container so that even though their partner may not be getting coaching, they're still included in that mm. experience of growth. If that makes sense. Um, I feel like as soon as you start pointing the finger and like, you're not doing the work, I'm doing the work. And especially when you're talking about, you know, growing in your consciousness, in your, just how you're showing up in the world. If you're coming back into judgment and pointing your finger at your partner, being like, you're not doing the work. It's like, maybe have a look at self because if all the work you're doing is so amazing, you probably wouldn't be slipping into judgment that easily. Yeah. It's that whole one finger pointing out and three fingers. Three hundred percent. Yeah. It's, and what I offer to people is don't tell them, that this work is great or don't tell them that it's like show them mm. do the work embody the changes they'll feel the difference every yeah. story i've heard of one person going first and that's naturally you know how it usually happens you know one person will go first and then the other will notice will feel will see the changes oh 
she's she or he isn't reacting like she used to mm. she or he seems happier in herself she's more connected to herself he's more connected to like oh and then there's changes that are observed and felt that's when the partner will come on board and open up and start to ask questions not from this is amazing let's do this you should do this it's like yeah cool story like when in the history of wanting somebody to do something has telling them to do it ever worked (laughs) like yeah you know it's just not (laughs) It's not a practical way to approach it, I don't think. So just, but that being said, like I said, it's not a simple answer. Still being able to create the environment where you're supporting each other. Do you know what I mean? It might not be, yeah, I'll do this with you, but it's cool. I fully support you in, in doing that. And how, how can I support that? And from the work that I know that you do, I'm wondering if that's like one of the ways that you frame leadership in a, in a relationship, like inviting the, the partner or inviting the other person in that couple into the work rather than saying, look at me, I'm doing all this great work. Why aren't you doing it? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. Embodiment. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's leading. It's like the old paradigm of position based leadership. It's like, I'm the boss, you're the employee, do what I say. It's like, that doesn't fly anymore in, in organizations. So it's like, it's, it's, it's people follow because of what they, it's like results based. Do you know what I mean? And that's gone sort of more of a corporate style of looking at leadership, but it's like the results based, it's transmission based. It's, it's, mm. yeah. What am I seeing? What's actually happening here rather than this, yeah. Positional based leadership. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's just like really we going back to we shouldn't expect everything from one person. It's like honoring another person's journey as well. Like if we tr- really truly love this person, it's like we'll see and honor them for where they're at and what they're going through and how they go about learning. Not everybody, you know, wants to dive into personal development in that certain way at that certain time. It's just like really just checking in with how much judgment we're carrying about that. And because normally it's like the triggers and reflections thing. Normally we might be judging part of ourself or judging who we were or, or so it's just when you can flip that and merit, like cultivate more curiosity rather than judgment. I feel like those two are opposite sides of a spectrum. Then the more you can sit in curiosity and be like, Oh, I wonder why there's resistance to that. Like, or I wonder, do you, do you know what I mean? You just create so much more lightness and you create so much more space for them to come to the table. Because if there's that pressure, even if it's unsaid, there'll be resistance. Mm. Whereas if we can create curiosity in a space of openness and love, then that's a far more enticing place for someone to come and join you. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and something that's coming up for me as we're talking about this and not something I think we've talked about before is is there a way of bringing that style of leadership into into the bedroom or into like a sexual erotic context and i'm as i'm kind of saying this i'm reminded of like this narrative or this like uh mythos around like men and the way men are supposed to be dominant quote unquote dominant in the bedroom or to be the active people in the bedroom and women are supposed to be passive. You know, this is like this old paradigm um, drawn on like kind of sexist, uh, sexist principles, but it's something that a lot of men come to me with is, is, Oh, how do I take charge in the bedroom? How am I, Mm. how do I, how do I be dominant, the dominant person in the bedroom and, and assert my masculinity in that way. And, and I think there's, you know, as long as that's not the only way that you're showing up sexually and erotically mm. with your partner, I think there's definitely value in exploring that. And I'm wondering the the kind of framework that you very briefly laid out for leadership and that invitation to another person to, to help them come into that work. If there's maybe a way we can translate that into a sexual context. Yeah. Good question. And I haven't really thought about it like that. Um, yeah, I would say, like, cause part of leadership is knowing when to follow as well. Mm. And, and leadership, when you look at, and I talk about masculine leadership and a lot of the teachers that I follow and really like, like John Wineland, he talks about masculine leadership. I love his stuff. And 
leadership doesn't always mean you're in front. You know, it's not like follow me. Sometimes a lot of the time I view leadership as like walking with someone, but just having an awareness of where we're going. Like that's leadership. You don't necessarily need to be in front. And sometimes leadership is knowing when to follow. Mm. Like sometimes leadership for me looks like having a conversation with Kat. Say if I've been at a retreat or I'm like spent or I'm cooked, the leadership is the conversation around I'm struggling. I need some rest, da, 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 da. And so it's, it doesn't look like always being on and always being quote unquote the man and always being dominate like that. I don't feel like is leadership. And so coming back to the point you made about um, sexually with this, I think it's leadership is presence, but leadership happens in the moment. And especially sexually, if we can't be present in our bodies in the moment, you can't lead. Mm. And so for me, that's where the translation would lie. And I'm only just kind of thinking about this now because I didn't sort of do this work in that context, but it's the more I got comfortable in my body and could be present with what's going on for Kat and her body, that gave me insight into what does this moment need from me? Is it to take charge? Is it for me to soften and to let Kat take charge? Is it, and that's to me what leadership is in the bedroom, um, is that, is that ability to be present in my body with my breath because leadership happens in the moment. So it's, unless you're connected to that moment, then yeah. And, and often we, we might have this narrative of how things should work. Like, oh, I want to be this way in the bedroom. So this sexual experience, I want to look this way. And then as soon as it deviates from that, it's like, oh, well, fuck. Like I wanted it to look this way and then this happened or this and it's easy to get derailed. Whereas if you're just, it doesn't mean you can't have an intention. You can still have an intention, but just being fully present in the moment without an attachment to it looking a certain way, that to me is yeah, is leadership when it comes to um yeah, sexuality and pleasure. Something that you, you, you said in there a couple of times was presence or being present. And that's a word I use quite a lot in my work as well. And I'm interested to know how you, for you, define presence or being present. Um, oh, define it. Uh, you're asking some good questions. I like it. Um, it's just being to connected with what is, like in the moment now. Mm. And... I guess it's more, yeah, uh, being connected with what is in the moment now and being able to respond accordingly. I feel like to me, presence has an ability of being aware of what's happening now and the ability to respond. And obviously that doesn't just happen, right? (laughs) We over a course of a lifetime develop strategies to bring ourselves into the moment, but also strategies to know what to do if things are out of alignment. Um, so that's something mm-hmm. that I try and emphasize as well as with the, the people that I'm working with is like, yeah, we want to develop presence, but you never really fully develop it, right? You're always working on it. You're always, because it's always a test every time to bring yourself into the moment, to know what to do in that moment as well. If things aren't, aren't going yeah. the way that they quote unquote should look, I think that was yeah. as well. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any strategies or things that have helped you when, when I mean, we can use the sexual context as, a, as an example, if things aren't going the way that they're quote unquote supposed to go, uh, what are some things that have helped you kind of come back to the moment with, with Kat or, or previous partners? Um, yeah, so I would say that like the breath first and foremost. In fact, that's pretty much my only strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just remember to breathe. That's it. Yeah. I was like, pretty much breath and, and awareness, like breath and intention. Like that's that's pretty much it. And there's lots of different ways of, of doing that, I guess. But honestly, my answer to that, whenever I can find myself like not present or, or whatever, that's what I do. I just breathe, breathe down to my stomach, breathe down into my hips, breathe down into my balls like get in my body and then yeah awareness so become aware of what's happening in my body aware of what's happening around me and then 
respond according like what like i guess then i asked myself like what do i need or what does the situation need that would be the next thing um and the biggest one for me especially sexually but just in life i believe there's like a real link between the two how we show up in the bedroom and how we show up in life i know um you talk a bit about that as well but is like learning to just fucking trust yourself like there's this whole there's the old school paradigms that are generally kind of unhealthy, but then there's also fucking like start reading spiritual text and the, um, Mantak Chia and David data. And then it's, unless you're careful, it's very easy to end up with a whole new list of shoulds. Mm. And if you're still operating from shoulds, it's not health. Like you're just giving yourself a new standard to compare yourself to. And yeah, it might be healthier than the old standard, but it's still not going to be very empowering, empowering or, or liberating sexually yeah. or, or any aspect for that matter. Um, so learning to trust what your intuition, trust what comes through, not what, how should it look? Not how, or what should I do? It's like, what, what does the moment need from me and trusting that and letting go of any judgment or attachment mm. because I, um, yeah, I, I would like explore Tantra and all of these things. And I'm like, oh, this is how, what healthy masculine should look like or, or whatever, you know, it's just still, it can be dogmatic, all of these um, teachings, so to speak. So for me, just trusting myself uh, and, and what usually gets in the way of that is judgments. Because like, to be honest, like a good chunk of, mine and cat's sexual polarity is if I am softer is if I am more receptive. And then once we're sort of going and present and we're in the moment, then that can flip like oh, the old who's in their masculine and who's in their feminine. It's like that, that is fluid. I feel, and, and sure you can definitely go to the polarity. Um, but I find I wanted to be a man that was in his masculine and this is how I operate sexually. But the path of least resistance for us is if I'm actually a bit softer, if I'm fully in that, unless cats fully surrendered and just, you know, but if we're doing life and, and those kinds of things, that level of, it can be too much for her and she can relax more when I'm softer rather than just like fully present and holding her. It's like, can be too much if that makes sense. So yeah, I just learning to trust myself and it's like what works for me and what works for us. So it's like read the books, do the things, but then actually just come back and above all else, like, like trust yourself. That's yeah. been my biggest thing by far. Mm-hmm. Bit of a tangent from that presence question, but. No, I appreciate <laughs> it, man. And I, I love like we kind of haven't called it out so far but it's like you know being a fucking armchair philosopher right you can read the david datas you can read the tantric books and then you can be like and this is what a what a masculine energy is supposed to look like and yeah it's like, yeah that's and you great see the- thanks for <laughs> telling me that but yeah how about embodying that when shit gets real you know when stuff's mm. gone out of alignment in the bedroom you know when mm. confrontation conflict you know what's what about then how does that you know how does that look what does it feel like how do you know how do you show up rather than telling yeah. me what it's supposed to supposed to look yeah. like um, big time and i feel like they're important frameworks for learning like i got a lot about learning about healthy masculine unhealthy masculine. like but it's still just a framework for learning mm. like because if no matter what you're learning if it brings you up into your head so you're analyzing and then you're thinking therefore you're not connected to the present moment because you're thinking about that fucking table of of qualities that i should be then you're not present so it's not working so it's like definitely study explore equip yourself with new insights and awarenesses but then when you're actually in the heat of the moment it's like being the heat of the moment it's like a sporting analogy do you know what i mean you train drills and you do all of this stuff outside of game day but when it's game day the more present and in that's how you get into flow Mm. is is with that that presence so don't um, hold on too tightly to these things and shoulds that, that we're learning. But that being said, it is, it is beneficial to have these frameworks to explore. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think like conceptually and intellectually, they're really good for yeah. allowing you to kind of expand your understanding. And then it's like, cool. Now that I've done that kind of up here, right. Mm. Heady kind of area. Let's like notice how that feels like in my body. What actually feels right to me? What feels good to mm-hmm. me? Yeah, when I, when I am this way, how does my partner act to me when I am this way? And, and how does that, what does that mean for our relationship? I think that's a, yeah, the, the, the two pieces of like the, the puzzle there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You have to integrate those yeah. two things. Um, and so something that can, can test us when it comes to embodying this sort of stuff, you know, rather than just kind of armchair philosophizing it is, is, and I've found this in, in my personal life and also in the, in the lives of the, the men that I work with is sex, right. And is sex life. Um, cause there's just a whole bunch of baggage attached to it and still taboo, you know, associated with it in general, but like on a like practical everyday level, what I find can can kind of happen for for the men that i work with particularly is like kind of really falling back on the this is the way it should look in the bedroom so i really love that you kind of spoke into a little bit softening and being a bit more of the um you you didn't necessarily use the words feminine or you know surrendering or that sort of language but but just allowing yourself to soften a little bit more and i think like a lot of men have this idea of what it means to be a man in the bedroom and then mm. once that kind of like doesn't necessarily work uh, mm. to kind of break down sexually and we kind of know as well from the literature that like when when sex is great and good and everything's fine and functioning well it's like a, a smaller proportion of the overall healthy relationship but when the relationship is kind of like kind of not really working and the sex is also not really working sex becomes like disproportionately negatively affecting of the relationship as well so like it starts to really mm. balloon out and be this this really um this really kind of unhealthy thing in the relationship and and this like really kind of beastly thing that has to be wrangled and that's often when people mm. start to reach out to me particularly gotcha. but i'm wondering does that show up in in your in your work with couples uh, um yeah that's there it's generally and i guess um it's not uh, uh sometimes it's the primary thing they're reaching out with but I guess because the difference would probably be because you're like a sexologist and sex coach. So it's like, Hey, sex, that's where I go for help. Where, and then intimacy, like all the other stuff will be stuff that you're working with. Whereas I reckon couples come to us more for, like, yeah, if there's communication breakdown, intimacy, sort of disconnect, um, not on the same page. And then when you go ask about, well, how's sex going? It's like normally like, yeah, not amazing because if the communication <laughs> and the intimacy is not there, then, you know, sex probably isn't going to be there either. Yeah. It's not a good um, recipe. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely present. Um, and it's funny though, because it's not necessarily the first thing we work on. It's normally a byproduct. Mm. Like how do we create more intimacy and sexual connection for me? it's we'll remove the things that are cock blocking it first and then let's see we, what we're left with because more often than not if you get rid of the stress if you improve the communication um, if you let go of the resentments um, all of this shit that's under the surface that's actually causing a uh, resistance to my partner on that deeper level when you start looking at that and you resolve that all of a sudden, you know, if you're in a healthy, loving relationship and then that stuff is now not in the way, sex life is probably going to improve. Mm. And then from there, yeah, there might be some things we can work on specifically, but I've found it's like if somebody's coming to improve their health, you ask what they're eating and get them to cut the shit before you get them to add, you know, a $75 super green powder to their smoothie you know if they're still eating heaps of shit so it's like i like that kind of way of looking at things is like let's just nail the basics and and see what's in the way of it see with what because often otherwise you can kind of be solving problems that aren't there it's Mm -hmm. it's like let's have a look at how much of this is self-sabotage how much of this is one person's financially stressed so they're just resistant to everything in their life. And sex is part of that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, let's just sort out that stuff and then see with what we're left over with. And then more often than not, I find you 
it, it might not be at 10 out of 10, but you're going to bump up a few levels. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes to, um, that speaks into like what you said a few minutes ago, which was the way that you show up in life is the way that you show up in the bedroom. And that's not a one way street, right? That's a two way yeah. street, you know, in the, yeah. and, and oftentimes the things that I do with my clients in a sexual field very much trickle out and manifest themselves as benefits in their, in their life in general as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that you, something that you emphasized there was like a building connection and intimacy and communication. And then from that sex generally gets better. Right. And I think that's yeah. into so much of this importance that I feel like we've forgotten, which is that like men want and need intimacy and emotional mm-hmm. deeper connection with their, with their lovers, with their partners, right? We're not just these physical, you know, um, machine like robots that get an erection and then just like pump away and then ejaculate. And then we fall asleep, you know, as much as Hollywood and the old ways of thinking about masculinity would like to portray us as that we actually mm-hmm. need that connection and that emotional attachment and that, that deeper intimacy with our partners. So I think, yeah, um, I think your work is like really just kind of proving that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And just like intimacy and sexual intimacy. And there's so many different kinds of intimacy, but we'll just say sexual intimacy starts well outside the bedroom, mm-hmm. like touch. And then you can go and get, and I know you love a bit of science, but it's like just looking strictly hormonally and building up enough oxytocin so that there is a arousal is easy. Sexual lubrication is easy. All of these things we're physical beings. And so the, the behavioral cues for a lot of the hormonal influences that enhance sexuality and pleasure are often non-sexual intimacy things like touch, like feeling safe, like feeling heard, like feeling that level of connection, like feeling provided for, like the feeling of providing, like all of these things that are behavioral um, outside the bedroom stuff have this direct flow on effect to what's happening hormonally in the body and therefore spontaneous arousal. Mm. And then you've obviously got, um, you know, if you're relying purely on spontaneous arousal and you're living a busy lifestyle, then that's probably not going to get you very far. Um, so like having those intentional moments where you are focusing on sexual intimacy and you are focusing on pleasure is extremely important as well but i feel like if you're doing that without the prelude lifestyle outside the bedroom intimacy you're making life really hard for yourself that's that's been my experience with it anyway i'm wondering if there's if that's come from like your own personal experiences or has that come from you reading these books and studying these things both Mm. yeah 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 own personal experiences and then obviously all the hormonal stuff that was studied. I didn't personal, <laughs> knew it. Yeah. I didn't personal experience myself into that knowledge. Um, yeah. But yeah, a combination of the two. Um, and, and also what I think is important to acknowledge with relationship, sex is part of that, is we change. Our desires change. Our love languages change. Our lifestyles change. So unless you have some sort of system of communication where you're connecting in and talking about this stuff on a semi-regular basis, you don't want to overanalyze yourself out of intimacy. Like it shouldn't be a conversation every freaking day or every week. Do you know what I mean? You want to spend as much time experiencing your relationship or more time than you know working on it, so to speak. But it's like, if things aren't working or what worked is no longer working rather than being like, well, fuck, like, you know, this doesn't work and like, just get curious and be like, Oh, interesting. What's shifted. You know, like I experienced that with cat, like being pregnant, that me needing to be soft thing was amplified even more. It was like uh, intimacy really needed to slow down um, and to be a lot softer and, and, and slower and, and, and all of that. And obviously pregnancy is a big example of a change, but, you know, any sort of lifestyle changes. And so it's checking in, like, does this still turn you on? Does this, and that's, you know, going back to the communication piece that you said, like, if you don't have the level of vulnerability to be able to have a conversation about it, what makes you think you've got the level of the vulnerability to actually explore it physically? Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? We think that's just going to happen. It's like, well, if I can't even talk about it, it's like, that's probably a good start point. There's probably some shit to clear mm-hmm. there. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and something that's really important to address because we do change. We're not the same people. And if we treat our partners like they are the same person and they're not growing, we hold them there rather than creating space for who they're becoming and who we're becoming as a couple. Yeah. Something you said there was, I can't remember who the quote was by, so I apologize. But the, this idea that like so many couples, so many people in general are doing things sexually with their partners or by themselves or with whoever that they wouldn't talk about. Right. It's like they're going straight into being like doing the, in the actions rather than actually having conversations about them. And they wouldn't in their wildest dreams have a conversation about it, but they, they're more than like willing to go and do it sexually. And it's just like, so the reverse of, I think what needs to be happening and mm. kind of what you, what you shared there. And it's like, if you mm. are able to have conversations and talk about it and set parameters and, and ask questions and be curious, you know, something you've mentioned a few times is that curiosity. And, mm. and I would add to that, you know, especially sexually is playfulness as well is have yeah. that like playful curiosity about things, especially in the bedroom. Um, sex is at least in my opinion, supposed to be pleasurable and supposed to be fun. Um, yeah. there's time for seriousness and ritual in other sexual experiences but for the most part mo- just the, the everyday person if sex isn't mm. pleasurable and fun for you then mm. there's there's work to do uh, at least in my yeah. opinion so um see so yeah, i love i love that idea of like first communicating about it and then yeah. going in and actioning it um and I'm yeah. wondering, has there been has there been like game changing things for you with regards to your own communication and the way that you show up not only in the relationship, but sexually as well, um, that you've learned over your, over your 10 years. Just talking about it is a game changer. Mm. Like, to be honest, um, and sitting down and having a conversation and what turns you on, what turns you off, you know, what do you want more of? What do you want less of? Um, all of those kinds of things, um, sounds super simple, but game changing because, yeah, and it does require a certain level of vulnerability and honesty because if you're in the position where you're still taking things personally, like I think taking things personally cock blocks a lot of people from having these conversations because what if my partner says they don't like this or they don't or they and, and you're making it mean something about you and it means nothing about you. I mean, that's their preference and what they like and that's got, you know, not nothing to do with you, but I feel like being feeling secure enough in myself to be able to just have those conversations and understand it doesn't mean um doesn't make me less of a man or, or anything like that um that's probably been been the biggest game changer and then yeah that's probably been it in a relationship context and then just learning more about sex and healthy sexual sexuality uh like learning about orgasms learning about retention learning about the breath learning about all of these different things slowing down like there's all these like little things that have just been like oh it's like all of a sudden i was like oh i'm competent in bed Mm. (laughs) remember having that thought whereas before i would kind of like prefer to be a bit drunk or these kinds of things to just because really it was because i had pressure on performance anxiety Mm. essentially and so um, once I got comfortable with the fact that it's like there's way less pressure on it than, than I was <laughs> making it out to be and could have conversations about it and that kind of thing, that was the real, the real game changer for me. But in the context of relationship and so it was creating the space to be able to open up about that was um, a huge game changer. And, and you just learn, learn so much. It's like, oh, you don't like that because especially – if you're in a new relationship or something like that and you're trying to use the old tricks that, that usually get the job done mm. and they're not getting the job done anymore, it's like, oh, that's when you're relying on this head-based formula rather than present in the moment. What, is, what, do I, what do I need? What do I feel she needs? What does the situation need? So then you're not in your head trying to work a formula out because then as soon as you go, that formula doesn't work, you're fucked and then you're overthinking things and then, yeah. So those, those, that combination. Almost going full circle back to like 
your the way you were describing leadership right is having the vulnerability to kind of walk alongside someone you know and, and mm-hmm. it, I, I feel like initiating conversations like that is you know excuse Brene Brown's definition of vulnerability that emotional exposure and risk risk taking right because it's pretty risky mm. to have a conversation like that and it's pretty emotionally exposing to have those conversations but that's a pretty you know strong leadership quality to be like look hey here's a pretty tough conversation that maybe we're both not super confident about having but I think is like really necessary like that's a that's a definite at least in the way you've described leadership to me and the way I understand it is like a pretty profound thing to, to, to do in a relationship is to initiate and to, to hold space for those conversations. I think that's quite a 100%. Like I'd say it's pivotal. It's creating the container. And they talk about like the masculine energy being like the container, the space holder, opening up those conversations is exactly that. Like it's um, yeah, it's that, that is because it creates safety when there's things that are unsaid and it's like, it can be felt. And it was when there's things that are unsaid about money, money's another one that doesn't get spoken about. Well, when there's things that are unsaid about anything, there's a lack of safety and that's felt and that causes contraction, even if it's subtle. Mm. So it's like, if we're wanting to create safety for our partners to open, which creates more connection, creating those conversations and the container for that is, is paramount. When you say that contraction is felt, is that felt by both people in that relationship or just by the, just by our partners? I think both. Mm. I think it gets spoken about like the masculine creating safety for the feminine. Yeah. But I know from, from like, I can feel the contraction too. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, if, if there's one more feminine partner, so like in my relationship, that would definitely be Caitlin. I feel like she would feel it more. And I feel, especially when it comes to things like money or, or other things outside the bedroom that maybe, and it depends on the, the setup, but like if I'm providing in that sense, if there's lack of communication, I, she would feel that more because I'm doing something about it. And I know I can go and, do this or make more money. And if I'm aware of what's going on, but it's not communicated, then she would feel it more. Mm -hmm. And I would say she's just more sensitive, maybe has less practices to be grounded. Um, And so it would be felt more in her, but I feel like both people feel it. Yeah, totally agree with you there, man. Like, especially if, especially if something like goes down and there's like rocks the boat a little bit, and then we're, we're trying to come back together and we haven't done any of the, the, you know, the stabilizing the grounding practices to kind of like drop back into the body. There's a real strong closing down sensation in me as well. I'm like, fuck, I don't want to do this. I don't want to come back yeah. to, you know, something that we, um, when I say we, my partner and I often share in our relationship is like coming back to love, coming back to mm-hmm. that softness, coming back to that vulnerability. And sometimes if that space has been created, whether it's my responsibility or my partner's or, you know, generally it's both of our responsibility to try and create that space for us to feel comfortable being vulnerable and open again. If that hasn't been done, I'm like, no, fuck that. I'm not coming back to love. And I get like real, you know, resenty about it. I'm like, what if I can do that? I don't feel safe doing that. Yeah. um, Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Both people feel it. I I feel for sure. hundred percent. And I feel like guys can get away with pretending they don't feel it because they Mm. can just shut down Mm. and they can even, and I've been like, I'm in my masculine, I'm holding space. I'm not expressing, I'm not feeling, I'm not flowing. So I'm not in my feminine. I'm in my healthy masculine. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you're fucking not. You're contracted in your heart and in your gut. But just because you're not immersed and expressing doesn't mean you're not contracted. Mm-hmm. So it's like softening is part of creating that, I feel like, space holding. It's like, I like to view it as strong back, soft front. Yeah. If I'm just like yeah. in it all, it's too much. Whereas like you can soften your tummy, soften your heart space soften your solar plexus and still be holding the masculine point. Yeah. Like it doesn't mean you need to be firm, um, mm. which I think is a, uh, I would definitely, <laughs> you know, think I was holding more space than I was because I was just contracted and tight, but like just, but I was just shut down essentially. Yeah. 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 Not feeling anything. Yeah. As yeah. part of like part of, 
you know, space holding, and maybe that can be a conversation for another day, but as part of like creating that container, holding that space for another person, or just kind of being there for that person, like you have to be tuned in to what it is they're feeling, right? Like uh, the, the, the kind of visualization that's coming to me is like, yeah, cool. I'm space holding. And you're like holding space, like over here to the right, but they need you to hold space over here for them yeah. and to the left. Right. Be like, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm doing my space holding here. And it's like, well, you're really missing the mark. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're holding space, holding but, your breath, but for nothing, right. You're doing yeah. it. There's nothing there. that's being filled up in that space. You're holding the wrong, the wrong space. You know, it's, um, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's something that you need to be tuned into and be aware of and be tapped into their, their feelings and their emotions as well as your own and the way that you in, you, you interact mm-hmm. and, um, and the way your emotions are being influenced by the other person in, in that container. So, um, yeah, I love that. You know, um, soft in the front, hard in the back, rigid in the back. Yeah, yeah. strong in the back. Yeah. Perfect, man. Perfect. Um, just mindful of time, brother. And I'm wondering, is there any nuggets of wisdom related to what we've <laughs> talked about today that you would like to offer up? And one thing we maybe didn't dive into that is worth mentioning is the importance of our state because we spoke about having those conversations and we spoke about the importance of our breath and being present in the bedroom, but the state where our bodies are in, when we come into these conversations will determine how the conversation goes. If we're contracted, if we're, I've got emotions trapped in our body that we've just suppressed, but we think we've dealt with, then we're going to come into that conversation tight and our partner will be able to feel that and they won't feel safe. So ensuring that we've done what we need to do to be able to show up clearly, that might be go for a run, that might be do some breath work, that might be your meditation practice, whatever it is, so that you can show up clearly because communication is about 7% the words that we use and 55% our body language or energy. So there's so much communication happening that's nonverbal and more often than not, especially if there's a breakdown in communication or conflict, we're trying to use words to solve the issue when it's just so far beyond that. So really checking into what state we're in while we're communicating. And as soon as we're in the stress response, then no good will come from communicating in that space because literally like there's less function in the parts of our brain that are responsible for empathy for creative thinking for solution oriented thinking so you're just not going to get there so ensuring that that's the biggest self-awareness like check in with especially if there's conflict be like what state am i in okay i'm riled up i'm shut down i'm fired up whatever it is and as soon as just pause have a safe word and there's lots of different strategies you can use to navigate that but that is the biggest thing. Once you can nail that, you stop feeding these triggers and these old patterns. Because once you're in the stress response, you're just playing out old patterns. Mm. And it's not me having a conversation with cat. It's my patterning, having a conversation with cat's patterning, and they're just going to duke it out till some sort of unsuccessful resolution happens. <laughs> Whereas when we can breathe and come back from a relaxed state, I think of like higher and lower self kind of thing, if that language lands. I find that's quite beneficial. Then that comes with checking in with our state, self-awareness of what's actually happening in our body. Am I breathing? Am I not? Yeah, I love that, man. And that's an ongoing thing, at least in my experience as well. It's like, it's always going to be something because we're human beings. We're not these perfect gurus living ascetic <laughs> lives. There's always going to be things that will quote unquote trigger us or put us back into that contracted mm-hmm. state, back into our stress response, back into our survival you know, mechanisms. So it's a constant like, okay, cool. Where am I at the moment? What state am I in right now? Can I just, oh, what are my tools that mm-hmm. I can rely on to bring myself back into a space of clear headed communication or, you know, embodied communication, you know, listening yeah. to how I'm feeling. Um, yeah. So that's definitely, a, definitely an ongoing thing, man. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so and much for sharing that. Curiosity and compassion. Mm. Those two things towards self, towards our partner. If, when it, if you can just come back to a place of curiosity, like, whoa, why do I feel like that? Wow, that's interesting that they've reacted like that and compassion for that because nobody wants to be a dick. Nobody wants to be mean. Nobody wants to like, so it's like having compassion for self and for partner and curiosity. Like those, if you can develop a practice of that, it's like your life and your relationships will, will transform. Yeah, and that's very similar to, if not, 
almost word for word what I teach with regards to sexuality as well. Yeah, curiosity, nice. <laughs> some compassion, like some self-love, some acceptance, and some playfulness with regards to your sexuality and your sex life. You'll just nail those basics. You'll start to see huge improvements. So yeah, I love yeah. the I love the synergy there, man. That's beautiful. Mm, amazing. Well, thank you so much, dude, for jumping on today. Thanks I, for having um, me. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed being on your podcast, man. And I, I really enjoy having you on this one. So hopefully we can tee up another chat in, um, yeah, in a few months time or something. Yeah, it sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, man. And just, yeah, thanks for doing the work that you're doing. It's um, definitely needed. And um, yeah, I just want to acknowledge there aren't too many guys in your field showing up like the way you're showing up. So it's, yeah, it's really awesome. And I'm stoked to be part of the conversation. Thanks, my brother.